Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. Awesome. Awesome. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter, if you can believe it. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we will finish chapter 2 tonight. Oh, man, you know what? I told you a little bit of a story. Um, I fibbed. Uh, I, I want us to... I know, right? I know. As a pastor, right? Pastors never lie. Um, so, okay, we are... We are going to finish First Peter chapter two tonight. <laughs> Threw me off my groove there. We're on First Peter chapter two, but I do keep a finger in First Peter chapter two. We're going to do a little Bible hopping right out of the gate, and so I don't want anybody to pull a hammy or anything. So be sure to stretch. But so if you are able to keep a finger in First Peter and turn to Isaiah fifty three, Isaiah fifty three. The church kids are like, Nyom, and then the non-church kids are like, what is it? So Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, verse 7. And this is talking about Jesus before his accusers. Uh, it's a prophecy about what Christ is going to do. Isaiah 53, verse 7. Um, so let me read this for a second. And, and as we're kind of building this theme for tonight, all right? Isaiah 53, verse 7, and, and feel free to write this down in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 when we get there, but all right, Isaiah 53, 7, he, so it's talking about Jesus, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Let me read it one more time. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Okay? Now, focus on this idea of, of the silence of Jesus as he, is, as he is oppressed and afflicted and even slaughtered. He is silent. All right, now, we're working our way over to 1 Peter. Just one more. Matthew chapter 27 Matthew chapter 27, verses 12 to 14. This is Jesus actually before uh, the Sanhedrin, before the, the chief priests and the elders at his execution, okay? At his execution. Matthew 27, 12 through 14 says this. Matthew 27, 12 to 14. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing to you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Read it one more time. When Jesus was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony that they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. To be a Christian means to live as Jesus lived, right? To be like Jesus, to show Jesus to a watching world, a world that is starving for meaning. How do we show them Jesus? Based on the two texts that we just read, what does Jesus look like? Here's what it looks like, based on those two texts that we just read. 
When we are wounded by others unfairly and we respond without sin, we show Jesus to the watching world. When we are wounded by others unfairly, so unfairly, when we are wounded by others unfairly and we respond to that wounding without sin, we show Jesus to a watching world. That's exactly what Jesus was doing in Isaiah and in Matthew 27. Unfairly accused, unjustly treated, and yet he responded without sin towards his accusers. Without sin towards those who were, who were trying to harm him. And that's what, we, that's what we are called to do. And it is a powerful witness. Talk about being different it is a powerful witness. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. So remember, 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 through 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 11 is one big paragraph in Greek, okay? Peter wants the whole thing to be kind of thought about together. Does that make sense? This whole thing connects. 1 Peter 2.11 to 1 Peter 4.11. And it's Peter's vision for the Christian life. How do we live in light of chapter 1? Now let's narrow it just a little. 1 Peter 2.11 through 1 Peter 3.7 is sometimes called the household code or the domestic code. How we are to interact in our daily lives as Christians with government, with spouses, and this week with bosses and jobs, but really with unfair situations in life. How are we as Christians to interact with unfair situations in life? That's 1 Peter chapter 2, 18 through 25, which is what we're going to do tonight. So let me read it. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust ones. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures, endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it? You endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. One of the big themes of this whole section of 1 Peter is the idea of what's called submission. Okay, This idea of submission, it started in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Be subject, or submit yourself, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That's 13. Then in 18, servants, be subject to your masters. And then in 3.1, likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. Don't worry, we're going to talk about it next week. 
Um, I see you, Tori. We're going to talk about it next week. But, the, but this, the, well, next week's board game night, so we will not talk about this on board game night. Um, but after that, it's already going to be crazy enough, so we're not going to get into it. But after that, we will, we will get into it. But this theme, just follow in your head, this theme of submission is, a, is the thread that connects all these sections together. This theme of submission is the thread that connects all these different sections together into one idea. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Most versions say in verse 18, look at 18 in your Bible, it says to treat our masters with all respect. The word for respect there, remember New Testament's in Greek, the word for respect is phobo or fear, like a phobia. It's this word, it's the word for fear. We treat our masters with fear. The same word is used in verse 17. Remember, they all connect. The same word is used in 17 when Peter says, fear God. In verse 18, if you have the NIV, it says, in fear of God, show fear for your masters. And remember, fear here means reverence a good respect for them, okay? A healthy respect, a, 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 res- a kind respect. By using the same word in 17 and 18 for fear, show reverence for God, show reverence to, the same reverence, show it to your masters. Peter is showing, out of your reverence for God, you show that reverence to your boss. By using the same word, he's showing, your reverence to your boss is connected to your reverence to God. Does that make sense? If verse 17 is true and you fear God, you'll show that in verse 18 by fearing your boss, by respecting them. We don't, listen, we don't revere our boss because they are good or kind. Our obedience, our basis for obedience is not our boss's performance. It's our reverence of God. Our basis for obedience is not whether or not our boss has earned it. It's that God has. Does that make sense? The fear, that the reverence we show for those in authority, it comes out of our reverence for God, is connected to our reverence to God. Because listen, and here's why Peter's saying this, it's easy, and you guys know college kids, you know this, it's easy to respect and obey a boss who is gentle and kind. Verse 18, but it's tough with an unjust leader. Or it's easy to be a good citizen when things are the way we want. But listen, all that really shows, all that really shows is that we just like it when things go the way we want. Yeah, of course I'll obey. Are you kidding me? Things are going great right now. Of course I'm going to obey. Things are going awesome for me. But listen to me, but what determines a Christian What determines what we really value is when all of our good circumstances that we love are taken away. It's easy to obey when it's all downhill and everything, and you're coasting. But when things become difficult and now your heart can't rely on those good circumstances, what does your heart then rely on? That's why Peter's saying your obedience to those above us has to be rooted in our obedience to God because you're not always going to have a good boss. When your good situation is taken away, you really start to see, do you value God, or did you really just value your good situation? 
Does that make sense? And the only way you're going to know is when that good situation gets taken away. The best example I can think of for this is we are in Rome, Georgia, okay? How many of you are not originally from Rome, okay? Welcome. We're, from, we're in Rome, Georgia. We're in the buckle of the Bible belt. Does that make sense? Like the south of the south. And everyone in the south, as if you don't know already, and, and this isn't a bad thing, everyone in the especially in Rome, one of the things that's really awesome is everyone is like cotton candy sweet all the time, like, like just pouring out. Like, like you just, you get in like a, a, a head on collision and they're like super nice. Like all, it's just nice all the time. At least, at least, at least it used to be like that until a few years ago when politics really started to take its toll. And all of a sudden you have these super nice Southern people who are so nice all the time. And then when the person that they don't like gets elected into office, all that niceness is gone. Does that make sense? It's, it's gone. Yeah, I'm preaching, right? Yeah, it's gone. Now listen, listen, listen. Their kindness was only skin deep. They're nice. It was super nice. And, and listen, that's good. It's fine. But the niceness was only skin deep. Their kindness was only tied to things going the way they wanted them to go. As long as things went the way they wanted them to go, they were nice. And now you pull that rug out and that niceness is gone. Because that niceness was not connected to God, it was connected to their circumstances. So as long as circumstances were good, the kindness was there. But you pull away what they worship, which is things going well, and we turn into animals. Literally, we, we turn... Listen to me, and it's easy, it's easy to hate on those who are older. But listen, is your generation going to be any different? Will your kindness to other people... And your obedience be dependent on your good circumstances or on your fear of God, regardless of circumstance. Because if your heart is tethered to God, that anchor will hold regardless of what storm comes. So you can stay obedient, you can stay kind, you can stay submissive, you can, you can stay tethered to what is true, not just to your circumstances. And sometimes we don't know, right? Like picture like a test tube beaker like in science class if you stayed awake, right? And like so all the sediment settles to the bottom of the beaker, right? And, it, and sometimes it settles so deep that you don't know that it's down there. How can you tell if sediment is in a beaker? You got to shake it, right? And sometimes the sin in our lives, we get so comfortable with it, it just settles there. And in love, the Lord will reach in. And start to put us through some things to, to, to rev up that sin so that he can take care of it. Does that make sense? The heart surgeon's got a cut to open your heart so he can do surgery. This word in 18, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust boss or master. This word is unreason or, or unreasonable if you're NIV. This word for unjust or harsh or unreasonable... In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist says that when Jesus comes, everything that is crooked will be made straight. That word he uses for crooked is the same word here in 1 Peter for unjust. Crooked, bent out of shape, not as it should be. So you look at a situation and you're like, something is wrong with this. Your situation in life, your boss, your strange 
marriage or your strange family situation in life is bent out of shape. It's not right. And listen, look right at me. You don't have the power to fix it. That's the stuff I'm talking about tonight. Ecclesiastes talks about, the, the, the teacher says, who can straighten what you have crook, made crooked? The Lord has in his good purposes made things in your life that it's just like, what is wrong with that thing? Like, what, like, like when, you're dry, when you're leaving Rome on your way to Cartersville to the movie theater, they've been doing construction there for like 58 years. And it's like, when is this going to get fixed? Like, that's the situation in your life. Does that make sense? You, you, every time this ha it happens, you're like, when is this going to get fixed? That's the situation I'm talking The unjust, the unfair, the unreasonable situation in your life. Listen to me. You're stuck in this situation and you have nowhere to go. And that's when the Lord really starts to work on your soul. When the good things in your life that made worship so easy are lovingly taken away from you, and now it's really just you and God. There's a deep work being done in your life when that happens. There's a deep work being done in your life when that happens. And that's why it's so special. Look at verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For this is a gracious thing, or in your version it might say commendable or thankworthy, Erica KJV, or it pleases God, whatever your version says. This word for gracious or commendable or pleasing, in Greek it's charis. It means grace. In other words, listen, this is a grace thing when you endure suffering in the name of Jesus. Listen, when you faithfully continue to serve, in a situation that you don't want to. And when, in fact, if you continue in your Christian way, it will cost you. But you continue on in kindness and submission. How can you do that? It's because grace is in your life. Because God's grace is in your life. It is a thing of grace that you can do this. It's evidence that God is working in your life. I could never obey a boss that disrespects me like that. I could never be obedient to God in a tough situation like this. Listen, you're right. You couldn't. That's why God provides his grace in those situations. It is a gracious thing when this happens. Look at 19 and 20 together. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 19, when one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Whatever the situation is in your life and you hit your fist against the wall because of how unfair it is, that is the point in your life where the atheist runs away from God and leaves him and the Christian runs to him in prayer. That situation where you are banging the dash of your car on your way home and you're done with this, that right there, that's when the atheist turns their back on God and leaves and the true, the Christian stays and says and runs to God. Now listen, not like, oh, you need to you need to gear up and do no no no. It's when the Christian runs to God and says, I cannot do this. I need your grace in this. Please help me. 
The atheist asks to leave, the Christian asks for help in that situation. That's the difference. That's what, that's what determines what's going on in your life, where your heart is. This word for sorrow and pain there in verse 19, that's huge, man. I need you, you may want to circle that because, listen, it, Peter's, Peter's just shooting us straight, and this is so comforting because he's telling us following God does not free you from sorrow. Whole churches build their whole church off of the theology that following God will free you from sorrow. Is your ticket to the breakthrough, the victory, again and again and again and again and again. But following God does not free you from sorrow on this side. When it would be so easy to leave, to turn around and either change churches, change jobs, listen, change spouses, Remember, you can't fix it, so, so just leave it. If you can't fix it, then just be done with it. And when you stay, and I'm telling you now, sorrow will be there. Randy Alcorn is a Christian writer who most famously wrote a book about heaven. It's creatively titled Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's awesome. It's awesome, though. His wife now has stage four cancer. Stick with your wife during stage four cancer treatment? Why? Why? You wrote a book about heaven and your wife has been given stage four cancer? Stick with following God? Are you serious? Why? Because Jesus is worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. I told you this story like 50 times and I don't apologize at all. I have a friend named Dennis who got cancer a long time ago and he made it through the cancer and he told me one time, he said, now listen to me. He says, Ryan, I don't ever want cancer again but I miss how close I was to Jesus in my chemo. I'm, he misses it. I miss how close I was to Jesus during my chemo. It is a gracious thing in the sight of God that gets divine approval when you graciously stay, when you graciously obey during unfair and unjust times in your life. It's God's, you remember, you remember the widow's might, church kids of the world, this widow, she's got like two half pennies and she puts them in the temple offering and Jesus, you can, I mean, you can feel it. He pulls his disciples, look, 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 look. That's, that's one of mine. That's the, the, the idea that Peter's giving here. When we obey and we stay faithful and kind during situations we are, where we are treated unkindly. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. For to this you have been called. You may want to underline that. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you in a, an example, so that you might follow in his steps. To this you have been called. Why suffer unfair things when you could just leave God and be done with it? Or turn back to porn? Or turn back to being angry all the time? Listen, don't get crucified. Why be willing to get crucified when you don't have to be? Because Peter says, this is the Christian life. Suffering, I wrote it in bold so you know it's important, 
Suffering for obeying God is not the call for super-Christians. It's the call for Christians. Suffering for obeying God is not the call for super-Christians. It's the call for Christians. For to this, what's this? You may want to circle this and just do a big bracket around 18 through 20. Because that's the this, suffering under unfair circumstances and continuing in faithful obedience to Jesus. For to this, you have been called. Jesus, and then he talks about Christ. Jesus suffered unfairly in our place. He didn't commit any of the sins. He didn't commit any of my sins. I did all those things. And yet you and I have never spent any time hanging on a cross, dying of suffocation. You and I will never, this is the best, you and I will never have to spend any amount of time with our souls literally being torn apart by God's punishment because Jesus did for us. And now we follow him as our example. 21 again. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. As Christians, or literally Christians, little Christs, those of Christ, we are the church. The church is called his bride, but it's also called as what? The church is his body. Listen, listen. We are the body of Jesus, and that's not just a metaphor. We mirror the life that Jesus lived. And what life did Jesus live? A life of being unfairly accused, yet not responding back with evil. He didn't drown himself in bitterness, which is what some of us do. I know millennial Gen Z, you would never... I saw this thing on the internet one time where this guy was like, I started choking in a Starbucks, and I like covered my mouth to keep it quiet. I would rather choke to death than inconvenience anyone. Is that not a Gen Z slash millennial? Like, like, and I'm there too, I'm there too. But what you do is, instead of lashing out at work, you just go home and you just drown in this bitterness. We drown in this bitterness. Listen, you don't have to. Jesus did not drown himself in bitterness. He did not seek the needs of himself. And we now do that as Jesus' body. Jesus suffered unfairly to show the glory of God to the world. Now we suffer unfairly as part of his continued plan to show that Jesus is worth everything we endure. Listen, to this you were called. You were called to this by God. Take comfort in that. Why? It's not exactly like the pick-me-up that I... Why? Listen, if God called you to this unfairness, that means he ordained it. And if God ordained this unfairness for us, if God ordained this unjust treatment for us, that means your unfair, unreasonable suffering is part of his plan. If God ordained this unfairness for us, if God ordained this unjust treatment, that means that your unfair treatment is part of his plan, which means you are ultimately still safe. You're ultimately still safe, and this safety is deeper than you know because it includes sorrow. You don't have to go around high-fiving everybody if you don't want to. It includes, it includes sorrow. I remember... One of my favorite pastors when I first became a Christian was a guy named Francis Chan. He's all over YouTube. You've got to check him out. Francis Chan interviewed this missionary in North Korea, North Korea one time, and he's, who was seeing tons of converts. 
in North Korea. And he asked the guy, you know, what's your method? Because if it works in North Korea, I want to do this in America. You know, how are you doing this? And he was expecting some amazing answer or some incredible trick from this missionary. You know what the missionary said? One sentence. He said, you cry a lot. And think about all the loss that this guy had seen while the church in North Korea was growing. You cry a lot. And that's okay. There are 150 psalms, okay? Now you can impress your friends. There are 150 psalms. Do you know what percentage of them are what's called psalms of lament or sadness and mourning? Some scholars say up to 70%. 70% in the psalms, in a book about the Christian life, 70% of those books consist of God's followers saying, this is so hard and you are so worth it. Through tears in the hospital wing, this is so hard and you are so worth it. It's comforting to know that we are called to an unfair life because it means that every tear we cry as part of that unfair life is still safe in his hands. Every single instance of your life that results in unfair treatment because you are a Christian is in God's hands, which means every tear you shed as part of that unfair treatment lands right there in the palm of his hand. Verses 22 to 25. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Look at 23 where it says, continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. You may want to draw a line up to verse 19 where it says, mindful of God. How could Jesus continue to suffer this way? By entrusting himself to God. 19. It doesn't say this is a gracious thing when we endure sorrow while suffering unjustly. It says it is a gracious thing when, while mindful of God, we endure difficult things while suffering unjustly. You cannot do this if your heart is not set on the Lord. Fearing your boss is connected to what? Fear of the Lord. It all connects back. Because listen to me. Well, sorry, let me finish. 24 and 25. He himself, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Nothing in this world comes more naturally than retaliating against those who mistreat us. Nothing, come, nothing is easier. It's so easy. Nothing in this world comes more naturally than bowing up against those who mistreat us. To strike back in hatred or to drown ourselves in bitterness. To remain faithful in unfair treatment requires a supernatural energy and an example to follow to remain faithful in unfair treatment. How can I possibly do this, Ryan? You can't. 
To remain faithful in unfair treatment requires a supernatural energy and an example to follow. And we find those things in Jesus, in the risen Lord Jesus. The only way we find strength to endure wickedness is a constant reminder that Jesus did the same. The only way we find strength to endure wickedness is the constant reminder that Jesus did the same. And, and when, during his endurance of this, when he was enduring the wickedness, why, listen, this is the good news. This is the best part. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed by his wounds so we're called to follow Jesus and be wounded like he was but here's the difference by his wounds we have been healed here's the thing the thing is not okay just go do what he did it is what he did empowers you to do what he did you can't just say, go out there and follow Jesus. It's not just go and do what he did. What he did empowers you to do what he did. When life gets so hard, and it's the most natural thing in the world to respond by leaving God, Peter reminds us, look at what Jesus has already done. And that will give you the strength to do what he has done. He was lied about. He's committing blasphemy. He's going to tear the temple down. And he did not lie in return. No deceit was found in his mouth. And as his mouth was pure, your mouth is being purified by the Holy Spirit. Not you. Not by your New Year's resolutions. Not by your, I don't watch R-rated movies or whatever. That's fine. But like that's not, that's not the Holy Spirit is fixing this because of what Jesus has already done. By his wounds, you've been healed. By his wounds, you're being healed. And as you're being healed because of his work on the cross 2,000 years ago, now you can walk in obedience to this. His grace is what has freed you, enabled you to do this in the first place. He suffered he is God Almighty, and he did not look at these evil men from the cross and say, you wait until I come back. He could have. But instead, he said, forgive them, Father. As his soul loved his enemies, our soul is now being changed by him so that you and I have the power to love our enemies. As his soul loved his enemies, our soul is now being changed by him. See, it is a gracious thing. His grace enacts with our soul, changing our soul so that we can now love our enemies. By his wounds, we have been healed. See, it's not just... Now listen, I want you to get out there and be wounded like Jesus. Jesus' wounds have healed us so that when we get wounded, we are still ultimately safe. Jesus' wounds have healed us so that now in this life, when we get wounded, we are still ultimately safe. Getting hurt still hurts. That's why it's called that. There's weeping, there's sorrow, but ultimately because of Jesus, there's healing, and we are still safe. Let me close with a story. 
a man lost his wife to cancer in her early 30s. Now think about, Jesus has been wounded for real, and now his wounds have healed us so that when we're wounded, we're still ultimately safe. A man lost his wife to cancer in the early 30s. On their way to the funeral, the man's little daughter asked him, if Jesus died for our sins, then why do we still die? At that moment, a large 18-wheeler truck roared past them. With tears in his eyes, the man said, Tell me, sweetheart, would you rather be hit by the truck or by its shadow? By the shadow, she replied. It can't really hurt you. The man smiled and said, Did you know that the truck of death ran over the Lord Jesus so that only its shadow will run over us? Your mother has not been overrun by death, but by the shadow of death. And that is nothing to fear. Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and his unfair treatment was the ultimate unfairness. His unjust treatment was the ultimate injustice. And as he endured unfair treatment, without sin, but with love for his enemies, he, he gives us the power to do the same. This unfair treatment we feel is not death, but the shadow of it. And the shadow can't ultimately hurt you. Jesus endured the full thing, so now we can follow him with tears, but ultimately safe. Let's pray.